listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Okay, listeners, I'm not sure I've ever had to say this on the show before, but I lied. Last week, I told you that our most recent episode, the one with Dina Gashman, would be the last new conversation I'd put out in 2023. Well, it's still 2023, and I do have a new interview to share with you. After this, though, I swear we won't be back until January. It just felt important to get this one out because I wanted you to have something to listen to as we head into winter solstice tomorrow, Christmas next week, and then New Year's. And listeners, please don't forget that when it comes to grief, New Year's can be just as treacherous as the other end of your holidays. It just tends to catch people off guard. Since tomorrow marks the official start of winter here in the Northern Hemisphere, it just made sense to share my conversation with author, podcaster, and remarried widow, Melissa Pierce. Melissa's husband, Dave, died in the winter. His birthday is in the winter. And for Melissa, the winter holidays will never be the same. On a random weekend morning, Melissa went to wake Dave up for their son's basketball game. And in that moment, everything in her life changed. Dave had died in the night, leaving her to raise their two young sons as a solo parent. In those early days of shock and confusion, Melissa went into what she calls zombie mode. She did all the things she needed to do. She focused on her kids. She moved them from where they were living in eastern Oregon back to Portland to be closer to friends and family. She did all of this and more without really connecting to her own experience. But that only worked for so long. Eventually, she had to focus on herself, on what she was feeling and thinking and needing. That shift to self-care also changed everything. Now, she's the author of Filled with Gold, her memoir of widowhood, and the co-founder of The Widow Squad, an online community to help other widows. Melissa is down-to-earth, funny, and provides a realistic picture of what it means to rebuild your life when grief comes crashing in. Melissa and her Widow Squad founders also have a podcast. It's called The Widow Squad, and I highly recommend episode 41, Holidays and Grief, if you're needing some tangible suggestions on getting through the next two weeks. Okay, listeners, we'll be back in January, and here's my conversation with Melissa. Melissa, thank you for uh, making time to join me for Grief Out Loud today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Oh, me too. Thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it. How did you and Dave meet? We met through his sister, who was a very, very good friend of mine. We ended up, Dave and I ended up being roommates. So we didn't really know each other very well, but I was in a situation where I needed a roommate. I needed a roommate and he needed a roommate. And this is when we're in our 20s, of course. And so I met him briefly for some coffee. 
and I had met him before very briefly too. Um, he was a musician and I went to one of his shows. He's a bass guitarist and uh, he did not notice me at all. He noticed my very tall, blonde, good looking friend um, that was uh, next to me. And so um, he didn't quite remember me the first meeting, but yeah, we met for coffee and we decided, yeah, we can let's do this roommate thing. I was dating somebody else. So we were roommates for like two years. I even set him up um, on dates with my friends. <laughs> so <laughs> we were just, we really liked each other. And being roommates, I also got to see how he, um, like he put the toilet seat down and he was very courteous. And um, I know he had a good relationship with his mother. And so I really got to know him as a friend and he got to know me as a friend. And then, you know, one snowy night and a few beers later, we ended, <laughs> we ended up uh, connecting. And um, then, yeah, there was some hiccups here and there, but we ended up getting married in 2000. And yeah, that was that was our meeting. Yeah. So you didn't have to have the should we move in together conversation? No, but but we were living together. And that was weird to me because how do you date somebody that you're living with? So I ended up moving out so that so that we could then, you know, do the traditional dating type of thing. So I moved out and then we ended up moving back in together at some point, And then we got got married in 2000. And then how long after you were married, did your sons come into your lives? It was five years later. We went through the process, though, of, of um, fostering and adopting our kids. It took about a year and a half for all that to to come about. But um, when we got married, my dad was pretty sick, uh, and he got sicker. He had a, a brain tumor and multiple other health issues. So he, we ended up taking care of uh, my dad or helping take care of him with hospice and my mom and my, and my brothers uh, through 2003. My dad ended up dying in 2003. So we knew we wanted to have a family, but all this stuff with my dad was going on. And we just kind of realized, wow, shouldn't this be happening? Shouldn't this kid thing be happening, <laughs> you know, biologically? And it, it wasn't. So we ended up um, seeking out some specialists and, through testing, we realized we weren't able to biologically or naturally have have children. And so we were also older kind of at that point. I think I was 34 when we got married. He was 36, you know, so we were pushing 40 at that point. And ultimately for us, we just wanted a family. We, it wasn't super important for us how that happened, but we wanted to have kids in our life and we wanted to raise kids. So we went through the Oregon, you know, DHS through that whole um, foster adopt program. And so we got trained. Uh, we got FBI checked. We got fingerprinted. We wrote essays. We put photo albums together. We interviewed each other. I mean, it's a whole process. And it was an amazing process for both of us to go through because we got to learn and really talk about things, how we how we were going to parent, how we were parented as kids, stuff that we never really talked about before. So we were super intentional about parenting and, and what we wanted our family to look like. So we actually kind of had all these things all set up and then we ended up meeting our, our two sons. And 
Um, we knew we were going to have to foster for a year because they were in the foster care system and the parental rights were not terminated yet. It was moving through that process, but there was still some uncertainty around whether we would be able to legally adopt them or what what the timing was with all that. So there was a whole year where it was a little bit up in the air. Now, our kids didn't know that, but Dave and I knew that. So we met them in 2005 and we were we ended up legally adopting them in 2006. Yeah. And they were five and seven, two boys, um, two brothers. They were five and seven um, when we met them. I was just thinking about how, you know, you and Dave lived together as roommates. So you had a lot of like prep time to kind of see what it was going to be like Mm -hmm. or who he was. And then all of this intentional time leading up to adopting your boys. And then the reason why you're on this show is that Dave died and there was no lead up for that. So sudden. And so just thinking about that, that contrast. Yeah. I mean, we had five really good years with the four of us building our family together. The boys had structure and routine and safety, and they had a lot of trauma clearly in there before they came into our lives. And again, it was very intentional. We knew it was happening. We knew they were coming into our lives. And we were, again, five years of building our family. And then one morning, life explodes and changes because Dave died very suddenly. And here I am. We went into this together. We made this decision together as partners to parent these two little boys. And he's gone. He's not there anymore. The shock of that was overwhelming for me and for my kids. You know, they've had so much turmoil and trauma. And then they had kind of five safe years, you know, five kind of chill years where they're playing baseball, basketball, doing the normal, quote unquote, normal kid stuff. And then life just upended and changed forever for all of us. Shock is an interesting situation in that when you're in it, you think you're super aware of it, but there's also parts Mm -hmm. of it that you're just like doing, going through. And then there's the looking back on it. And I'm curious from this vantage point, quite a few years later, what do you know about, think about, remember about that time? Uh, Very little. (laughs) Honestly, I didn't realize I was in shock. I was just going about the business of, I need to plan a funeral. I need to pay for a funeral. I need to make sure my kids are okay and fed and go to school and get their homework done. And I need to work my full-time job. <laughs> and so I was just kind of a zombie. I, I, that's what kind of my, my zombie period. We were also, we moved. I made a decision to move from our house. And that took place a week after Dave's funeral. So, I mean, there was just a lot of things going on. And looking back on it now, the, the amount of stress <laughs> that I was under, I was having some physical complications because of that stress. And um, yeah, that was crazy. I don't, there's some things that I remember very, very vividly, very clearly. And then there's things I don't remember at all. We had a lot of family and friends coming in for the funeral and the service and to come and help out. And even now I will, I'll be talking to a friend and I'll be, well, how do you know her? 
you know, how do you guys even know each other? It's like, well, they were at the, they were connecting at the funeral. I don't remember. I don't remember who was there. I don't remember who talked. I don't remember if I ate. I don't think I was eating, but I was very hyper-focused on my kids, making sure that they were okay. It was so out of control what had happened. Dave just suddenly, just out of nowhere, he is not there anymore. So I was just trying to control things as much as I could. And now I know like you can't control pretty much anything other than your response to, to things. But um, yeah, I was, I was like hyper vigilant, hyper, hyper vigilant. I wanted to know where my kids were at all times. I wanted to make sure that they were safe. I didn't like leaving them alone or with anybody um, other than me um, or really, really trusted people. But um, yeah, that was just probably a good six months. I don't remember the first six months very much at all even though you did an inordinate amount of everything during that six months. Oh yeah. Zombie mode. I was working. Um, I, part of my job was to look at um, legal contracts and negotiate. And I don't know if I've messed it. Nobody gave me any feedback from work that I had messed anything up, but I'm like, I don't know how I did that stuff. I don't, I was just in zombie mode. I was in and during that time I was not feeling my feelings and I was not, truly acknowledging what happened because I part of me thought that this didn't really happen that he was going to come back through the door and uh like just kidding I was just on a fishing trip or you know or whatever you know I was just it was part I think that's that beautiful part of your brain that tries to protect itself from the shock and trauma living in that land of surreal mm-hmm. is this happening I mean I know I'm doing this but it might not actually be real yeah you know, we talk about how grief is so different for everybody. And some of the things that can play into grief being different for people are how the person died, how we found out about the death. And I wonder in your circumstance, like Dave dying so suddenly, you being the one to find his body in the morning, and never really knowing a cause of death, like, how did those factors play into your grief? Yeah. I mean, it was just a typical Saturday morning. I was getting my um, my son up. I think he had a basketball. Yeah, he did have a basketball game. And, and Dave was going to help either with a timer or something, help in that game. And so I'm like, geez, he should be up by now. And every other night of my entire life, I have slept with Dave. But the night before, he was like, gosh, I don't feel very good. I think I'm getting a chest cold. I'm just going to go to bed and he kissed me on the cheek and I'm like, okay. And so my youngest and I, we pulled out our sofa bed in the living room and we watched a movie and fell asleep on the sofa bed. Part of me. So I, anyway, I, I went to, went in the bedroom to see if about waking him up, maybe he was in the shower or something. And, um, you know, I saw him, um, unresponsive. I then took action. I did CPR, whatever I knew how to do, called 911, all the things. And just, I don't know, there's just the shock and the trauma of that. I have very limited memories of what transpired. Luckily, I wrote it down and I wrote it in my book. <laughs> but being the person that comes onto that scene, and he was 46. That does not happen in my, I couldn't, my brain couldn't, it would just wouldn't work in understanding this. This is not supposed to happen. We just, we just got our two kids five years ago. We're, 
you're supposed to be in a basketball game, you know? So yeah, that that's kind of, it's affected me for sure. And, and particularly because um, there was no autopsy done and, you know, there was a medical examiner and unbeknownst to me, I don't know all the workings of how this all works um, when somebody dies, but I was at the funeral home a couple days later making arrangements and the funeral director's talking about embalming him. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, don't we need to do an autopsy? And it's like, no, the medical examiner talked to his doctor, talked to you, um, talked to the paramedics and determined this cause. And I'm like, well, what's the cause? Because I didn't have a death certificate. And when I looked, I don't think he had the death, death certificate yet, but the cause is undetermined. <laughs> like the, the top cause is undetermined. And then there's two other, you know, subordinate causes, which is a respiratory illness based on what I had told them that he was complaining of, he felt like he had a chest cold, but that could have been a heart attack, you know, that could have been masking itself as a heart attack. So when I asked that question in the funeral home, he's like, well, you could um, send his pay, I could pay for it myself, pay for the autopsy myself, thousands of dollars. And I was already putting the funeral expenses on a credit card. I'm like, okay, well, what does that entail? You do it right here, right? And, and no, they would have had to send his body to Portland or Boise because we were living in Eastern Oregon at the time and they didn't have the facilities to do that. So I made a game day decision. I mean, like I had, I was making all these big, heavy decisions on the fly. So I said, no, no. Okay, let's, I couldn't imagine his body going somewhere else either and not being near me, you know? So I made this, the decision not to pay for an autopsy. And um, if if the boys were biologically, like if there was a biological connection and there was like some kind of health issue that, that David had that could be potentially passed down to my kids, I would have done it. But that was not a risk at that. So I did let his siblings know that, um, you know, go get checked. This could be, you know, he died very young. It could be something that's running in your family. And so, um, yeah, it's, I did visit a couple psychics. I mean, that's in my belief system. I believe that that there are folks out there who have gifts. And so I visited two in the Portland area and they gave me the answers that I needed. So I feel I'll never, never know for sure in my mind, but I'm kind of like, I need to, I'm letting that go. It's like, he just, he died. I can't explain it. He died very suddenly. His heart and lungs and brain, his organs stopped working. So, yeah. How was that to talk to your kids? Thinking about how kids really, like, they want to know why, how, how did daddy die? How did daddy die? And to not actually have a cause how was it to have that conversation, which I imagine was one of many conversations with them? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, they were different ages. So I had to kind of figure out a way to talk to my 10-year-old. It's probably a different way to talk to my 13-year-old. But basically, they got the same information that he died in his sleep. We don't know why. Um, he just didn't wake up. And I did find my oldest wrote... I don't think it might have been for school later on, several years later, but I had seen it in some of the papers that he had left 
in his room and saying something around like one of his biggest regrets is that he doesn't know exactly how his dad died because he was not with us in the house when Dave did die. He was at a like a Lego robotics event in Portland. So he was 250 miles away. And so I had to, I had to tell him over the phone that I'll, I'll remember that one. Um, luckily my brother, I had told my brother and my sister-in-law, so they were getting him. So he had people around him when I was able to, to tell him over the phone, but yeah, that was, that was horrible. That was awful. Um, he had a teacher, one of our good friends, a teacher with him. And so I did ask him, the teacher to, can you tell me like, exact what was he, what did he look like? What I wanted to visualize in my mind, what my oldest was experiencing as he was telling him or supporting him. So he did, I did include that in my book. Cause I just, that was a mystery to me. Like, what is that like for him to be in a school on a Saturday morning with a bunch of kids running around with Lego robots and having this, having to be told something like that, you know? Yeah, that was rough. Melissa, you mentioned that in going through those first like six months of just doing all the stuff that needs to happen and all the like physical changes and moving your family and just trying to make sense of it all that you weren't really feeling your feelings like they Mm -hmm. were there, but you were not actually feeling them. And I wonder if you recall kind of like when that started to change. It was, so we had moved back to Portland. So we were in the Eastern part of Oregon and we moved back to Portland because that's where I'm from. That's where my support is. That's where I knew that I could do this as a solo parent because I knew I had a lot of help around yeah, I was just going about the business, getting the tasks done, getting the checklists checked off, because that is something I had control over. And I think the around the six to seven month mark, um, after we were back in Portland, it fi- it dawned on me that this happened. This is real. He is not coming back. I am making all of the decisions for me and my family. I am working. I am, I think the stress, the physical stress and the physical things that were happening with me were kind of forcing me to feel my feelings. I was kind of falling apart. I mean, not kind of, I was, I was trying to keep it together, but um, I think on the outside, people were like, oh, Melissa has this all together. She's in control. We don't have to worry about her because I like to present like I have it all figured out but that was not what was happening on the inside. <laughs> and so, you know, there was little cracks, you know, that stress, that that energy has to come out in some ways. So I just felt like I was crawling. I wanted to crawl out of my skin. I just had, like, I was going to burst. I just felt like I was going to burst physically. At that point, I thought, you know, I need to get my kids some help. So always focus on the kids, never prioritize <laughs> myself. Um this is not a recommendation, right? No. This is just a reflection. No, this is me. <laughs> this is me. Like, no, everybody comes first. So I decided to get, see, see what resources were out there for them, um, which is when I found the, the Dougie Center. And d- in doing that, 
I would take them to the Dougie Center and then they would do their thing. And then the parents or the the adult supporters of these kids, they would there there was an opportunity to meet kind of a support group or just chat while the kids are in their space. During that time, I was like, wow, okay, I'm not the only one who is experiencing this. I mean, everybody has their own stories and stuff, but their kids are grieving and and we're their parents or we're their supporters. Hmm. And then I would find myself crying more, you know, like I would find myself, yeah, just having emotions that I was not comfortable with. And so at that point, I'm like, oh, I think I probably need some help to move through this for me. So my kids are getting help. And then I got a recommendation, a few recommendations from the Dougie Center on grief therapists, grief counselors. And so I started working with uh, a grief counselor who helped me understand. It's so confusing. Like you're having this jumble of emotions and somebody who, I am somebody who, again, likes to present like they have everything under control and to have these emotions come up and cry. I don't like to cry in front of people. I never did. Now I'm just, I'll cry wherever. But um, just having somebody kind of reflect back to me, um, some of the things I was saying, I was very, very hard on myself. I was not talking to myself very kindly. The the loops that were going on, oh, I should be doing this. I, should, I shouldn't be, all the shoulds. Um, I had somebody I could work with and help me just kind of make sense of grief, my my what I'm feeling, my experience. I mean, my dad had died. Of course, I I experienced grief with that, but this is different. This is somebody who I was planning the rest of my life with. This is somebody who um, was helping me parent. We were we were co-parents, and now I'm the only parent. Working with a grief counselor was was key for me. I I honestly felt like I don't know you know like a a snail with a shell. I felt like there was no shell anymore, and I was completely exposed. Like physically, I felt like I don't have anything protecting me. I felt so vulnerable and unprotected, and just kind of like a newborn almost. And uh, grief counseling, uh, I would give that five stars. yes yeah in that process of kind of one just starting to acknowledge just how much your shell was missing and also starting to feel some of those feelings recognize some of the ways that you were you know like cognitively making sense of those feelings and maybe in ways that weren't the most supportive of yourself what were some of the practices you put in place to rebuild that shell for me, it started out physically. Um, I had to get this energy out of my body. Like I walked, I worked out, I did yoga, I did anything. I just felt like that was a way just to start moving the grief around because the grief hurts. It For me, it hurt in my body. So that was kind of first for me is just physically moving the energy around. And I was open to anything the crazier the better like massage (laughs) pedicures whatever like i needed to do that first and then then the emotions and the feelings and that kind of like that was like twofold it was the physical part and then that allowed the emotions to 
be dealt with or for me to deal with that stuff. And a lot of that was helped me prioritize myself. I mean, the the tendency is as a solo parent is to everything's for the kids. I, I, I want to make your life better. Forget about me. This is all about you. And I had to really retrain myself to I can't be a good parent or to you guys if I'm not good with me. If I go down, this whole ship goes down, you know? So part of that felt selfish, but I was okay with that. Um, I had trusted folks to to care for my kids. If I needed to take a night off or or just take some time, take a weekend just for myself, I did that. And it felt weird. I felt guilty sometimes, but but it really was the catalyst for me to be able to learn and grow and move through this experience and also help my kids be a better mom. Make I had to make some big decisions by myself on their behalf. So I couldn't do that unless I was enriched and bolstered and, you know. One of the things I hear from people who come to Dougie Center and participate in our groups, especially if they participate for a, an extended period of time, is that when they come to group at first, they're there to receive support. And they're not really about giving too much yet because they're mm-hmm. really just in that, like, I need whatever I can get place. And then over time, it starts to equalize. And then there's some people who stay because what's helpful for them is now supporting other people becomes a part of their story to be like, I've gone through this, and how can I maybe make it easier for other people? And uh, I'm I'm guessing you might feel like a resonance with that Mm -hmm. (laughs) transition, given that you have your book filled with gold, you have your community through the Widow Squad, as well as the podcast. And when did you start to move into that place? That's a good question. Um, You know, originally, with the Dougie Center, that was all about my kids. I'm like, I need this is a resource for my kids. Um, I'll hang out here and talk to the other parents, but this is really for my kids. You know, they, they went, I can't remember how many times we went. It was not very many, but they were just, they told me, mom, you know, we just we don't like going here. We'd rather play soccer or whatever. So I had to listen to that. I can't, I couldn't force them to do that. So part of what is important to me is this is an extraordinary experience. I didn't know anybody who was my age, uh, 44, who had two kids, who had lost their partner suddenly. I didn't know anybody. I was hungry for any books, any communities, um, anything I could find or get my hands on that would provide some kind of roadmap or guidebook. But, you know, there is none. There is no room. <laughs> there is no guidebook, unfortunately. But at the time, um, 2011, 2012, there wasn't a ton of podcasts, books, uh, groups. I think there was like a couple young widow groups through Meetup that I found, um, but they didn't really resonate with me too much. So um, there was just a lot of things that were lacking. Now I had the Dougie Center, which was amazing. Um I called you guys for referrals, you know, so you were like, I call you now, <laughs> you know, I, I talked to you, I engage with you now. But again, there just wasn't a ton of resources out there at that time. There are now. I wanted to just tell my story because I, when I heard other people's stories, that gave me hope and that made me feel like I wasn't alone. So um, 
I decided to write down what had transpired in my life, starting with the the book starts with the very first day I met my kids and kind of goes on to our experience, you know, parenting them, Dave's death, the aftermath, my growth, um, my move towards healing some of what had happened to me, and then also meeting my husband in this life and, um, you know, the life that we're living now. So um, that was important to me. I just, I think stories, sharing stories is really important. Um, I've just always felt like a need to serve or it's funny, like my family and friends, if if they know somebody who's widowed, they'll be like, oh, Melissa, can you talk to this person? Like, I'm like, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. Um, like I'm the go-to, you know, <laughs> I'm not, but um, there's just, it is an extraordinary experience. This is not, it's a horrible experience to, to have your partner die and not be there anymore, but there is support. There is support out there like your organization. There's other awesome grief experts and, and experts in the widow space. And so I met two of them and online we became friends and then we're just like, Hey, let's, to do something. Let's put something together. <laughs> Let's. We don't know what it looks like, but wouldn't it be cool if we could just gather widowed women together and whatever that looks like and just talk or bring in experts, have workshops. So that's where the Widow Squad membership, how that came to be. And so we started that a little over a year ago um, and we meet weekly we, we again, we bring in experts to come in and just talk about some tools and strategies. Like I said, there's no, there's no guide, but sometimes there's a roadmap, you know, and you can always veer off into different lanes or whatever, but at least you're kind of amongst people who, your people that understand. Like we had a meeting last night and um, one of the widows in there was really kind of struggling and saying how she, she has to present a certain way at work and then nobody really understands. And then she's telling about the experience. Everybody, this is on Zoom, everyone's nodding their heads. Yes, yes, we feel it too, we get you. And so she just physically just like the sense of relief. And so just being with other people who understand, everyone has their own stories and and their own personal experiences, but we've all lost a partner. We've all lost a life partner. So we we get that. We understand that. So that was really the catalyst for just doing what I'm doing. And then our podcast kind of is a, we just decided, well, let's just talk about more stuff. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so we have a weekly podcast too. So yeah, yeah. I just want to, stuff that I didn't have at that time, I'm like, well, let's create it. Let's Let's make it. Sometimes people will think in order to move into this role that you're in now, which is, I mean, you don't term yourself an expert, but you are like in charge of this community and mm -hmm. the podcast and sharing your lived experience that you must be in a place where it's all wrapped up for you. Mm. Like got my grief all figured out. So now I can be in support of others. And I mean, you're shaking your head like, yeah. obviously, no, that's not true. <laughs> but wondering, you know, like recently, where are you in this grief and what have you been reflecting on lately? Uh, lately, you know, grief is never ending. 
there's always going to be moments. I have them all the time, you know, just moments where like, I really miss, I really miss Dave and I'm, I'm remarried, you know, and I, I, I married, I remarried a person who understands this. He's, he's, he's not a widower, but he does understand that I have moments where I'm just sad. I miss this person. I miss Dave. So yeah, the grief is never ending, but it is kind of, I don't know, like time kind of files down some of those sharp edges. I did rebuild my life. You know, I, it's, it's possible. You can rebuild your life. Um, And I did it and I'm doing it. You know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now, but it's, it's changed how I look at life, um, how I move through life now. I, I generally don't take a lot for granted you know, because I know how it can just go away in a moment. Yeah, it's really, it's changed. I've got a new career, you know, like <laughs> I'm not in the legal field anymore. You know, I'm I'm doing this. I am serving, serving other widows based on my experience. You know, I'm not an expert. I'm an expert on my experience and maybe sharing some of that can help somebody else. But yeah, grief, well, particularly, I'm not sure when this episode is going to air, but the holidays coming up, uh, don't love the holidays. I don't think I ever will. <laughs> um, that changed for me. But, you know, I also have some tools and some coping strategies around that. But yeah, there's times of the year that are sadder or I'm I'm different. I feel different particularly the winter time because there were so many Dave died in the winter his birthdays in the winter uh Christmas is in the winter you know like all like I have this three month period of the year that is so packed with anniversaries and birthdays and so the other nine months it's kind of like oh, okay I can rest and chill yeah so it's just it's a cycle and uh for me just learning to feel my feelings and really acknowledge the grief and acknowledge my emotions um, whether they're challenging emotions or positive emotions or whatever and then just what helps me grieve too is just saying it's okay to feel sad it's okay to cry i don't know why i'm crying Half, sometimes i'll be like why am i crying i don't know <laughs> i'm just gonna go with it <laughs> you know so just being super kind to myself and i hope others can do that for themselves too because this is hard it's really hard so you got to be your own best friend kind of and then surround yourself with people who who support you i really appreciate you normalizing i mean we say all the time grief never ends it's like yeah 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 mm -hmm. but like really putting that into reality of where you are in your life because i imagine that Sometimes people will look and say, oh, that person is remarried. So that widowhood stuff's just all packaged away. They must be totally over it, whatever that mm -hmm. means. Um, so, yeah, I really appreciate you being able to give that reminder that even if we reinvest in other relationships that are the same, not the same relationship, but you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. if you get remarried because it was your, your spouse that died that there's still plenty of room and space for that other person and for your grief that comes into that new situation. Oh, there is. I mean, if I had to label myself, I I would call myself a remarried widow. And I was very intentional about when I decided I wanted to be in partnership again, who that person was going to be. 
I didn't know his name or anything like that, but I was very intentional about, well, they have to really understand that I have this husband who died. And then I have a husband in this life, which who Sean, my husband in this life is. And again, like he understands there's sometimes where he gets confused too, but it's, we're always open for the conversation and no, my, it's not like it's all wrapped up in a, in a bow, like, Oh, I've, I've moved on. There's no moving on, you know, from this, this is something that happened to me that will always be with me. It's shaped who I am. It's shaped who I am now. And I like who I am now, which is kind of an interesting concept because I don't know if I really was in tune or really liked myself very much before Dave died. I was not really in tune with my emotions. I was not in tune with what I wanted out of life or I just kind of let life happen to me. And it was, it wasn't bad, but it was like, I wasn't super intentional about things. And now it's, it's like, um, I don't know. I mean, this, this changes you. It can't not change you. And you can make a choice. I made a choice. Like I will, this is going to, I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to grow. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm, I'm still alive, you know, and I still have kids that need a mom and I still have friends and family. And so uh, this will not, I'm not going to crawl into a hole, which I, I of course did a couple of times because I needed to, <laughs> but I didn't stay there. Yeah. I mean, our tagline is, you know, we help widows rebuild their lives, you know, because you have a life worth rebuilding. Well, Melissa, thank you, you know, for your time today. And I'll say thank you again in a moment. But before we get there, I wanted to just give you a chance to let listeners know all the places to find you. I put stuff in the show notes, but sometimes it's nice if people can just hear it and they can go directly to where they might find you. Oh, yeah. Um, So basically just the widowsquad.com. It's our website. It has a link to our podcast, our blog. Um, We have an upcoming uh, holiday summit coming up where we've brought together uh, like over 25, no, I'm sorry, over 20 grief experts, widowed experts talking about all the, uh, the holidays. Like you don't have to endure the holidays. You can actually, you know, move through them and maybe even find some joy through the holidays. And uh, it's a free virtual summit. And that's coming up on November 16th through the 18th. But yeah. If you want any information about what we do, widowsquad.com is always a great place to go. Well, thank you, Melissa, for the work that you're doing to provide multiple roadmaps for other widows out there who are new to this experience. And even though everyone's roadmap does look different, at least Mm -hmm. it's nice to sometimes be like, oh, that's where people stop and use the restroom, or that's where people actually spend the night. (laughs) Like there's an, there's, there's some potential here Mm -hmm. that I, there is a, a way that I can still be here and rebuild my life in some way. So thank you for that work. And thank you for being part of the show today. Yeah. And I want to thank you and the Dougie Center. You were a life changing a lifesaver uh, for me and my kids and then in turn everybody else around us you know so I love what you what you and the Dougie Center are doing so thank you and listeners out there I do say it each and every single time thank you for being part of the show being part of our community for uh, making doing these episodes mean something 
If you want to reach out to me, you can email me directly at griefoutloud at dougie.org. That's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. That's also our main website where you'll find all of our downloadable resources, information about our local programming, and each and every episode of Grief Out Loud. Always excited to share that the podcast is sponsored in part by the Chester Stefan Endowment Fund. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.